You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. We're going to please rise as we stand to read scripture. We're going to be going out of Genesis 3, 1 to 5. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, But God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you will not touch it or you will die. You will will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Let me take care of some paperwork first. Um, uh, Travella Hershey is home. I did receive that word from her daughter yesterday. Um, The procedure did work to get her heart back into rhythm. Um, But the the new prayer request for Travella is is that she will um, pause that this, hopefully this will be the last time she needs that procedure because they can't keep doing this procedure according to what her daughter was saying. So it is very crucial that they get this under control. So please um, continue to pray that this, this holds now, that her heart rate does not go out of rhythm again. Um, so that is the prayer request from Travella, and I got it yesterday and forgot to relay that to Pastor Landon, but uh, we still prayed for her, which is a good thing to do. Today we begin a new series called Truth and Lies. And I want to answer a question that was asked to me this past week right off, the bat, right off the bat. That is not me holding that newspaper that is on fire, all right? Um, my boss called, uh, saw me at a breakfast this past week, and he said to me, that's not you holding that newspaper on fire, is it? And I said, no, no, I, I do um, dumb things from time to time, but that is not one of them, hold a paper while it's on fire. Um, someone else did that, and I stole that picture. So... Um, I think we all agree on one thing. Truth, real truth, is under attack these days. I mean, you can't get it anywhere. Well, at least anywhere outside of the word. But it isn't new. It actually has been that way from day one. Real truth has been under attack. It may be more obvious to us today, but it isn't new. And that's for sure. So for the next three weeks, I want to present you with untruths and then counteract them with truths. What will that look like? Well, here's the answer to that question. Your guess is as good as mine. But I hope it's deeply meaningful to all of us. Here's what I'm doing. After every week, I am sitting down. I have not prepared this series ahead of time. And I'm just asking the Lord, what is it that you want your people to hear about truth? I can't encourage you enough to take those papers about the truth, nothing but the truth movie that is coming to Faith Church on next Sunday night and encourage friends and family to come. Encourage them to come. We need to encourage people to stand up for truth. Because we're in a battle. And we need to be prepared for that battle. And so that's why we're doing this series, because it kind of coincides with, that, with that, uh, that video. But one thing I want you to know is, is that what's crucial in that video is this. Pastor Landon is exactly right. They go at very controversial topics, but they do so in love. That's the important part that we miss today, truth and love. It's not about smacking people with their Bible verses. It's not about putting people down because of the lifestyle they live. It's not about hurting people because they choose to sin differently than you do. It's about saying the truth in love. In love. 
That's the key to the whole thing. I've had more than my fair share of conversations, and Pastor Landon will as well, in ministry where I've had to apologize to people on the outside for the way that the people who represent Jesus did so in their lives. Because unfortunately, they forgot that part in love. And signs of anger, signs of frustration that they are living a lifestyle different than yours does not do in love very well. And so I encourage you to come out and be a part of that sermon series. That's or that, that video, that's my commercial for today. In 1939, just before the outbreak of World War II, Germany and Russia signed, and I'm going to probably uh, botch this up, the Molotov and Ribstrop Pact. Now, here's what that is. Let's just forget that name. It's a treaty that promised that neither nation would attack the other. And it laid out a plan for how they would divide the nations of Eastern Europe between them. Yet in 1941, without warning or provocation, Adolf, Adolf Hitler sent his tanks across the Russian border in a sneak attack. Hitler had no interest in keeping his word. The treaty was meant only as a temporary measure until he could do what he wanted. The devil will tell you anything you want to hear to get you to do what he wants you to do, friends. He is a master liar. In fact, Jesus declared Satan to be the father of lies. The devil breaks, breaks every promise that he makes. He never delivers what he leads us to expect. While sin may be enjoyable for a little while, in Hebrews 11, 20, 25, it always leads to a very, bitter end. Fleetwood Mac nailed it in 1987, and I'm not going to play this song this morning, when they wrote Little Lies that had these lyrics in them. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Tell me lies. Tell me lies. Oh, no, no. You can't disguise. You can't disguise. No, you can't disguise. Tell me lies. Tell me more and more sweet little lies. He does it all day, every day. And he's good at it. And maybe today is a wake-up call that he's been doing it to you from day one. And you need to respond. Here's Satan's game plan. It'll be on the screen in just a second here. Satan's whole system is built on a lie. And they are sweet, and they appear little, and they appear small, but man, are there huge consequences for falling for them. Let me assure you of some things. Here's the first thing I want to assure you of. His, Satan's motive, is murder. His method is the lie. He wants you dead. And it may not be physically dead, although that would be suffice for him. He wants you spiritually dead because he wants you to believe the lies that he feeds you so that you can be spiritually dead, so that you do not go out there and reach a world that is desperately fighting against the truth of the Word of God. He wants you to be spiritually dead. He wants you to sit here and act like you've got it all together. You don't need Jesus. Because if He can make you believe a lie about yourself, He then has you right where He wants you because now you're not going to make an impact. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. That's the goal. And his, his tactic, his method has never changed from the day that Landon read about in Genesis chapter 3. It's always about lies. Oh, they're, 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 they're sweet lies. And there's a bit of truth in every lie that he tells. But they're lies. Satan's goal is to bring death to life, joy, peace, happiness, and fruitfulness. Hmm. The very things that I hear people saying they're struggling with today. 
Do those two counteract? I bet they do. He doesn't want joyful Christians. He certainly doesn't want peaceful Christians. He certainly doesn't want fruitful Christians. Why is it that I spend almost all of my days sometimes counseling people who are struggling with these very things that we're talking about here this morning? Is it because it just so happens to be the same things that Satan wants dead? No, I think it's because we are in a battle and we haven't woken up to it yet. We've allowed him to take our joy. Don't clap. The walls might fall in. We've allowed him to take our happiness. If we're happy, we somehow feel guilty that we're happy and someone else is not. We've allowed him to take our fruitfulness. Don't push the envelope. Don't actually reach someone for Jesus because you might end up getting an enemy in the, in the long haul. And, and if you think that I'm preaching to you or at you this morning, please understand these things have hit these feet way before they've hit your feet this morning. Satan wants to bring physical death and spiritual death. So here's a question that came to mind this, this past week when I was looking at this scripture passage. How does he accomplish this? It's, it's, it's a letter D. Here it is, deception. deception it's a trick of hands if I can get them believing something or thinking something that's different than the truth I've got them where I want them if, 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 if I can deceive them I win two of Satan's biggest lies are foundational lies and it's out of these lies that we that all other lies come. We need to learn some things about Satan's lies. Here's the first thing that we need to learn about Satan's lies. Satan is the master liar. You can't beat him at his game. He's real close to perfect at it. He's very clever. He will twist words. And make you think that you're thinking something that's correct that is not correct at all. Satan's lies are subtle. His lies are not obvious lies on the surface. Because we all know it, the best lies sound most like the truth. Some Same goes for really our lies as well, isn't it? Well, if I tell 75% of the truth and then I leave out the other part of the truth... okay do you know what 75% of a truth is a lie it's true 5% of the truth a lie the only real truth is 100% truth he's good at it I mean, you're, you're going to see it in just a second. He makes Adam and Eve look silly. Because they think they know what they heard, and yet he kind of does a trick of hands. Satan would rather us, we believe a lie and think a wrong thing than do a wrong thing. Now, this is interesting. This, this came from some study. Satan would rather, again, we believe a lie and think a wrong thing than do a wrong thing. Because you see, when you do a wrong thing, and this makes sense, when you do a wrong thing, boom, it's done, it's over, it's finished. But boy, when you think a wrong thing and you act on that wrong thing, now it has continued for weeks and weeks, and months, and years, 
And now he has you for all of these years because you have thought a wrong thing and you've acted on that wrong thing. It's not just do a wrong thing. See, sometimes we think Satan's game is, well, if, if he can get me not to pray one time. No, that's not the goal. He wants you to pray with no faith. So that while you're praying, you are praying basically a prayer that's kind of just like, well, I don't really believe you're going to do it, God, but this is what I'll pray because I, I don't really think you could turn this place around. I don't really think you could bring hundreds of people to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior these days. I don't really think that because he's taught you to believe that it's not going to happen. And so you continue to do a wrong thing. You continue to have wrong actions. Why? Because he has taught you that that's the way you need to think. And so if he can change your thinking, friends, he's got you because now it's not just one wrong thing. It is not that I snapped off to my son this past week. It's not just that. It's that I somehow believe that that's okay for a father to do. Now, I got a big issue because now I can snap off any time I want because I have somehow twisted scripture or twisted the truth to believe that I can do this without, without any consequences. And so, yeah, that one wrong thing was wrong and I needed to apologize. But then when I begin to think something wrong and I begin to think that it's okay to do these things and it's not, it's not going to affect the body of Christ, it's not going to affect the church, it's not going to affect all these things, he's got me because now I'm doing it every day, every week, every minute. And he's up, he's down there, I almost said up there, he's down there got Kindig, man. He believes in his heart that he is right and he will prove it until the end of day. I'm winning in his life. See, Satan's game is not to get you to do something bad one time. He wants to change your mindset. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we as Christians should change our minds. That we should go back to the scriptures and start looking at the truth of the word of God and allow it to transform our minds. Why did Paul say that? Maybe Paul knew the game of Satan. This starts a discussion here in Genesis chapter 3 between the serpent and Eve. It's a discussion that leads to some questioning of God's character. Satan's goal here is to twist and turn God's character and by doing so win over Eve. Again, I want you to be clear. He doesn't just want the one decision. You know what it is, the fruit in the mouth. He doesn't just want that one decision. He wants to change her mind forever. And the one decision is just part of the victory. Satan's plan never changed, friends. He has played the same game today, the same game today. If he can twist and turn God's character, he can begin to reshape people's thoughts. And the biggest subject to do that with is God himself, right? I mean, why would he try to change my thoughts about Pastor Landon? You sat up here, man. Now you're going to get picked on. Um, <laughs> why would he want to change my thoughts about that? Because in the grand scheme of thing, he can change my thoughts about Pastor Landon. It's really not going to change my life that much. It might change it a little bit. Like, you know, working with him might be a little awkward. But boy, if he changes my mind about God himself, about the biggest God out there, about the universe, about the biblical God who sees everything, who is in control of all political and all social and spiritual things, if he can change my mind about him, it now changes my life and it changes how I see Pastor Landon. It changes how I see Michelle. It changes how I see Freddie and Serenity. It changes how I see you as congregation members. Because now he has changed my mind to focus on something that is wrong. 
And so I have a little edge to myself. I put a little uh, you know, chip on my shoulder because you know what? Satan has convinced me that something is wrong. And so I don't treat you with the respect that you deserve. I don't love you as a brother or sister. We all want to make division in church about everything else, but sometimes it's a spiritual game. Because Satan has convinced us that that person isn't in it for the good. And we continue to live that way. We fall right into his shape. Because if Satan can get us to question who God is, what he's like, and what he does, he's got our wheels spinning, spiritually speaking. We're stuck in a rut. A.W. Tozer put it this way, no religion can rise higher than the concept of God. I want, I want to put these two pieces together because this is crucial to where we're going this morning. You understand what A.W. is saying here? He's saying, listen, if you don't have the correct concept of God himself, your religion is dead. You just spin your wheels. If he can get you to think that God's somehow not loving... He's that old grumpy man who just wants to spank you and send you to bed. Boy, he's got the church right where he wants her. So what A.W. is saying is, is that our concept of God makes or breaks our rise of religion, our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I remember being in Theology class, very first time, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but I was sitting in Bible college, and I never went to a Christian school. My kids get the, the blessing of going to a Christian school. So when, when I went to Bible college, it was the first time I had ever heard about theology. You know, my parents knew one thing about Jesus, and, and mom and dad, if you're watching this morning, this is not a knock. They knew I needed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. They didn't know much more theology. And I'm so thankful they knew that much. I remember sitting in Bible college and I get this list of systematic theology 101. Things like pneumatology and soteriology and homardiology and thinking, yo, I didn't sign up to be a doctor. These sound like diseases. I remember Joe Schlegel, good old Joe Schlegel at what was Baptist Bible College and now Clark Summit. They, we used to call him Iron Joe. He was our theology professor. And he stood up and he faced all these freshmen with, with deer in the headlights kind of look because we were like, what did we just get ourselves into? And he said, you've all come in and you have this, you have this beautiful box. And you all have it too, by the way. And you got God in this box. And it's, it's a beautiful box. It's a nice wooden box made out of walnut or whatever beautiful wood you like to make. It's stained. It's a beautiful box. You got God in this box. But here's the problem. God can't be contained in a box. But you got him in the box, and, and you all do too. You, you got him there. You got him in this box, and, and he's so beautiful in the box, and, but he's got his limits in the box because he can't grow any bigger because the box has got limits, and he can't, he can't move because the box has got limits. And, and I remember Iron Joe Schlegel saying to us all as freshmen, he goes, here's what my goal is in the next five, four to five years. My goal is to take that box and smash it in front of your front in front of your desk in front of you. So that God becomes this huge who he really is in your life. 
Some of you have been walking for 40, 30, 20, 16, 10 years with God in this box. And unfortunately, you've never experienced him at his greatest. And some of you need Iron Joe to come in. I don't even know if Iron Joe is still living today. And break that box over your front of your desk or the pew in front of you. Because here's the consequences. They're deadly. I remember walking through that process and you know, just the other day, someone was asking me, I don't know if it's Pastor Landon or Tim from Community, was asking me about my calling. And I said, you know, I went to Bible college on a whim. Someone told me you'd make a good youth pastor, and so I went. And, and I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. You know, there was no calling from God. It was just basically like, yeah, Baptist Bible College will accept me. I'll go there. And then my junior year, he did exactly what he was talking about. Iron Joe. That box broke. God took away my friends, my people that I hung out with. And I remember going back to my junior year and I had to, and, and he took away my friends. I got to be clear on this. He took away my friends because they all fell away in sin. Like one of, my, one of my buddies decided that he was no longer going to remain pure in his relationship. He was going to do what he wanted with his girlfriend. So he told me, he gave me a card that he signed when he was 13 years old saying he was going to be pure until his marriage. And he handed it to me just before Christmas break. And you know what he said to me? Rip that up and throw it away on the way out the door. I'm doing what I want. And so God took all these friends away that weren't probably the best of friends. And I had to rebuild. So literally, what if you can picture this, if I had a broken leg, I, I don't plan on breaking my leg anytime soon, I hope. But if I had a broken leg and I had two crutches, here's what God did. God came alongside and he went, poof, poof. and I got nothing. No, no. I got something bigger than friends can give. I got God himself. And it was my junior year that God sealed the deal. He said, this is a calling. And now I've taken your crutches away and now it's time. Will it be Craig and Lynette's faith or will it be yours, Brett? Because if it's your mom and dad's faith, you are going to crash and burn. Whose faith will it be, Brett? See, Satan had me. He made me believe that all the wrong that I did as a child, God could never really love me. I want to look at two big lies that Satan uses here in Genesis 3, 1 through 5 to get Eve's wheels spinning. Because again, he wants her to question God and his character. And so here's sweet lie number one. God is not good. He's not good. Listen, the devil is trying to get Eve to think negatively here about God. Well, let's look at verse one. Go ahead and put that up there on the screen. And <laughs> that is way too small and I don't have it in my Bible or in my notes. So I'm going to read it from my scripture passage. Genesis chapter 3, here's what it says in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? devil's trying to get Eve to think negatively about God here. You see the game he's playing? He's trying to get her to, did he really say that? Did he really say that? He wants Eve to think that God is withholding goodness from her. 
And because he is withholding goodness from her, because he is not allowing her to partake of what she really wants, God is not good. Satan wants us to think that God is severe and cruel. The devil told Eve that God had said she could not eat of every tree in the garden. Now that was a lie. I want you to look at Genesis 2.16 here with me as well. It's on your screen and this one is in my notes. Thank the Lord. And the Lord God commanded the, the man, the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge and good of evil, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, the serpent, again in verse 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent was really crafty, and he said in the second half of that verse, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, Satan wanted to deny Eve, and he wants to deny us any ultimate joy. He twists the words. There's truth in it. He did say, do not eat. But he did not say, do not eat from every tree in the garden. God had actually said yes to their joy and to their pleasures. There were, there, God had, um, there are many today who think that God is cruel and vengeful. And it all comes out of this lie. He withholds stuff from us. He tells us not to do things because he wants us to not, not be joyful. And you wonder why you struggle with joy? He wants us to not be happy. And you wonder why you struggle with happiness? He withholds us, and what he's saying is, God, what Satan's lie is, what the bottom line of this entire lie is, is this. God is not good. A good God would say, have your little heart's desire, Eve. Go ahead and eat from any tree you want. Do you see how that translates to today in 2021? When we look at someone and we say, but Jesus says the only way to heaven is through the, the, the Father, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And automatically what is said back by most people, well, that might be true for you, but you see, I want to partake of the entire garden. I want to believe in a world where God loves everyone. And so whether they were the biggest heathen and didn't have a relationship with him at all, but if they were good people, then we can celebrate that they're in heaven. That's not what Scripture says. It's a lie. And we fall into the same thing because Satan... Would God really say that? Would God really say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father except through me. Would God really say that? Yeah. And so you think Genesis 3 has nothing to do with 2021. Think again. You're living in it right now. God is not good. A good God would say anybody can get in. A good God would open up the gates and say, come on in. Because here's where the hang-up is. It isn't God that's rejecting them. It's them rejecting God. That's where the hang-up is. See, they would rather say, well, God's rejecting me because I choose not to believe in his son because I choose. No, 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 wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. God is not rejecting you. God is open. He has given you the gift. He has said, here it is. He has said, just open it and accept it. 
God has not rejected you. You have chosen to take that gift and say, back at you, God. Wow. That's what we're talking about here. It's right here in Genesis chapter 3. Satan's still at the game. A good God really wouldn't believe that. A good God would just let you have, have two. Go into the garden. Who cares what you did with me the whole time you were living? Go enjoy heaven. Hey, man. Everybody gets in. Is that why it says the, the path is narrow? Because everybody gets in? It says it. Doesn't matter what you do with him. You can tell him to go fly a kite their whole entire life. You're in. It's not very popular today. I know there will probably be some that will, I'll get emails about this. It's okay. I'd rather upset people on this than anything else. If we're not going to stand by this, then we might as well, you know, just put the building up for sale. Why do we even have it? And it's coming into question. It's coming into question. How many times have you heard as a Christian, well, good God wouldn't do that? It's the same game. the same game this simply isn't true the truth is that God loves everyone and listen to Psalm 84 11 here's what it says for the Lord God is a sun and shield the Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless Sounds like a pretty good God. You see, if God says no in Scripture to something, it's because He knows it'll hurt us. If He says go ahead and enjoy whatever it is, it's because He wants us to do so. Here's what God doesn't do He doesn't play the mind games. Well, is it good? Is it any good? No, He's pretty clear. pretty clear we may not like what he says because it might hit a little close to home but he says it see God is good all the time he's good all the time Satan's sweet lie number two. God is holding you back. Kind of goes with the first one, but it's a little different. Here's what verses four and five say in Genesis chapter three. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the devil makes three counterclaims here, and I want to go over those three counterclaims with you. Here's the first one. Number one, they will not die. We'll talk about all these in just a second. Your eyes will be opened is number two. They will gain what belongs to God, knowing good and evil. I'm just going to let those sit up there for a couple of seconds here. Again, they, they will not die. 
your eyes will be opened. They will gain what belongs to God, knowing good and an evil. Essentially, God is cramping Eve's style. Excuse me, Satan is cramping Eve's style. And he is saying that God is doing the same thing to Eve. He's holding you back. You could be so much more if you just do what you want to do instead of listening to him. Man, does that sound familiar or what? Let's take a look at these three counterclaims and how eerily they sound like things happening today. Here's what I need you to know. These half-truths that Satan is spewing out are powerful. You know, it was one time that someone asked my wife, it was at a former church, and I don't know if she remembers this, but she said that, that we, had this, we had this kindig shindig, and it was, it, was, it was later on in our ministry, it was like we were there for nine years, and then they had this celebration thing, and someone came up to her, or someone asked in front of the whole congregation, they asked her, what's the hardest thing, being a pastor's wife? And I'll never forget her response because I, I didn't expect it. She said to have truths that are said about my husband. People who believe things that just aren't true about him. They hurt the best, the most. Those are what keeps her up at night. Those are what makes her cry. People who believe something about her husband that just is not true. Satan plays the same game with these half-truths. Listen to this. Here's the first one. Yes, they did not die. Their eyes were opened according to verse 22. Here's what it says. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of the life and eat and live forever. But notice how Satan spun it to make Eve believe half-truths and make her believe that they were going to be different results. You see, God's withholding this because he knows that you're going to have this great and wonderful life after you partake of this fruit. And so God is not a good God because he doesn't want you to have the fruit so you have a good life. He obviously is not a good God. They may not have died. But here's what they were. They were expelled from the garden. Which, if you know Hebrew, that's basically death. Later on in the history of Israel, people would be excommunicated if they were ceremonial and clean. Such people were counted as, guess what? Dead. Listen to Leviticus 13, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. I would have been in trouble. And he shall cover his upper lip, and cry out, unclean, unclean. Now, it's not red there, but basically these people were treated as if they're dead. When they enter the town, they got to let everybody know. They're dead to society. Yeah, Adam and Eve didn't die physically. But they died. Because they lost something that is so precious to all of us that we take for granted, and that is the presence of God. They lost it. The fact that God walks with you tomorrow wherever you go. Gone. I realize there's some debate on the word hell in the scriptures, we talked about this at Sunday school class, but let me just say, I can't imagine a hell more worse than being out of the presence of God. I can't imagine walking through COVID-19, a heart surgery, without the presence of God being there. 
I can't imagine being wheeled into an emergency or into a surgery room, um, uh, an operating room, and I was. And then asked to climb onto the table where things would happen that I, I had no control of. And I can't even quote my favorite verse, Psalm 56.3, because he doesn't exist, because there is no presence of God. I mean to tell you, I was saying it out loud. When I am afraid, in God I will trust. When I am afraid, I will trust in God. When I am afraid, I will trust in God. No presence of God, no reason to say it's verse because it's out. True, their eyes were open, but that didn't bring freedom. This is the second one. No, it brought quite the opposite. They were rewarded with seeing their nakedness and saddled with human guilt and embarrassment. Let's look at verse chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they saved, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now remember, what did Satan promise? God is not a good God because if you partake of the fruit, he knows your world's going to open up. You're going to have all the freedoms in the world. You're going to be living in a beautiful life. You're going to be in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Hmm. Oh, crud. We got a problem. Why? If you just do what you want to do, if you just lie to your parents, you'll get away with it. You'll just do this. You can just do that. You can do this. You can do that. If you just do this, you'll have a freedom of life. Who cares what your parents have to say? Who cares what your grandparents have to say? Who cares about this? Who cares about that? Just live your life because that will be the freedom that you need. And then you will live life and then you do it. And then guess what? You find out you're even farther in the muck and the mud. And Adam and Eve had an eye-opening experience. Holy crud, now we got a whole load of new problems. That's not what he promised. I remember one time living a life like this. I've done it more than once. Where I thought, you know, if I could just live my life and just do my thing and I'll just, I'll make it happen. I don't need to worry about what Christ wants in my life. And so maybe I told this story and if I did, just act surprised when we get to the end. But I um, got this bad letter from this substitute teacher. That was a normal for me. When substitute teachers were in, I was like, game on. Here we go. Right, so I get this letter, and, I, and the letter says, you know, Mr. Kindig, I'm, I'm sad to tell you that your, your son acted irrespect, unrespectful towards me, and this and that and the other thing, and so I thought I'd be a wise guy, and I thought, you know, okay, well, she's giving me this letter. What she doesn't know is, is that I can rip papers just like anybody else, and so I ripped it up, and I and I put it in, and you know, Freddie's listening to this, and don't do this, Freddie, but I put it in the back, in the back of their yard. There's these evergreen planted uh, trees, and so I put it in there, and I covered it with soil. And I thought, well, it'll degrade, and I've gotten away with it because no one will ever find out that I misbehaved. <laughs> Two Sundays later, we're sitting out in the back porch, and you know where this is going. It was a very windy day, and we're having a porch picnic. All of a sudden, this piece of yellow paper comes flying out from under the trees, and doesn't just hit my sister or me or my mom in the foot. No, it hits my dad's foot. And it's the part that says, Dear Mr. Kindig, what's, what's this from, Brett? I, I got in trouble, Dad. See, I thought I could take care of it myself. Say what you want. I believe that God picked the wind up 
and taught me that he's ultimately in control. And trust me, I paid the price that day. See, it's not freeing when you're doing something deceitful. Because even if I would have gotten away with it, I knew what I did. And I was saddled with guilt for the rest of the time. Third, yes, they become like God, but the cost was huge. They achieved isolation and fear. Congratulations, friends. That's what they got. They were saddled with it. They did come like God. It says it in the scriptures. You heard it from Genesis chapter 3. They became like God. They knew good and evil. They were cut off from life with God, of which they were destined for, in essence, they obtained wisdom in exchange for death. So in, in, in essence, what was happening here, excuse me, was this. Sure, they got everything Satan promised them. And now they're dead. Spiritually speaking. Friends, if there's a sermon that I want to preach hard, it is this sermon because some of you have been listening to Satan's lies for way too long. And spiritually, you've expended all of your strength. And you're dead. You're dead. So how do we overcome these sweet lies? Well, we overcome it by the the cross, by Calvary's conquest, by the blood of the Lamb. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They triumphed over him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You want to beat these sweet little lies? Big lies. There's only one way. And gentlemen, it isn't by your muscle. And ladies, it isn't by your sweetness. It's by what he did. It's by focusing on what he It's by giving everything to the blood of Christ. You will not defeat them in your own mind. On the cross, Satan's back was broken and his lies were exposed. We will never overcome Satan and his lies until we first come to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, period. can't do it by realizing and reacting to his offer of salvation friends ephesians 2 8 through 9 comes into play here it is for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of god not by works so that no one can boast I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You can't work hard enough for it. It's a gift. And so the question comes out, and and this is a question in my sermon outline here this morning. Do you know him? Not of him. See, the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of people that know of him. They, they, they do. They, they've heard stories. They've, they've, they've read the scriptures. They've been in Sunday school when they were little children. They, um, they, they've carried the Bible with them. They, they've learned of them at Christian school. They've learned of them at whatever, but they don't 
know him. And too often, pastors like Landon and myself, we, we assume because people reside in a pew for an hour on a Sunday morning that they know him. It's a bad assumption. Do you know him? In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I wish I had good news for you. I wish that Greek word all kind of gave an indication that it wasn't all. But it's all. That means from the front of this sanctuary to the back of this sanctuary and beyond, everyone doesn't match up. No one does. That means we can get all the degrees in the world, Bible college degrees, Master of Divinity, we can get it all, we still don't match up. That means, yes, Billy Graham does not match up. That means those that we put on pedestals in the Christian faith do not match up. Charles Stanley, David Jeremiah, in and of themselves, they do not match up. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says these words, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then Romans 10, 20, 13, excuse me, says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Now listen, I've sat where you've sat, and, 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 and I understand what could be the pressure. If I admit that I haven't done this, man, I look like, whew, I look, I look like I've been living a lie. Because you have. And I would rather you be embarrassed here than there. It's serious. I will spend my every waking moment until he comes back preaching this message. Because I don't think I have many waking moments left, and that's not about my health, that's about his return. This isn't about what you did on Tuesday. This isn't about what you did on Wednesday. This is about what you've done with Jesus. In John 3.16, it says these words, For God so loved the world, you know it, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall perish, or shall not, for whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But then 17 goes on, and it's a beautiful thing, and we, we miss this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Did you hear that? He didn't send them to make you feel bad. Listen to why he sent him. He, but he's to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. You do not stand condemned. Those lies of Satan, you can throw them out the window because they do not have a chance with you if you've called on his name. Believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So basically, if you stay where Romans 3.23 puts you, you do stand condemned. Because you can't do good enough. I can get up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to live by the Ten Commandments and by the fifth minute of the day that I wake up tomorrow morning, I will have broken one of them. Can't do it. It's kind of why Jesus is needed. Do you know him? 
want to go into battle with you, Faith Church. No one else. I want to take this word and, and you know, when I look at how the world is turning, I, don't take this the wrong way. This is not here, so I'm making this up as I go. I want to do one more big punch out there. I want to see us all come together and rally around him and make a big push out there. That's what I desire. But in order to make a big push out there, we first have to look inside. Have I done the business I need to do? Do I truthfully live for him? Do I truthfully care about the things he cares about? Or am I listening to Satan's lies over and over again? You don't have to know me long to know me that I'm there. There are times when Brother Landon over here, Pastor Landon over here, has come into my office and had to remind me, Pastor Brett, that is not true of yourself. You are allowing Satan to win. Stop it. And I've also had to go into his office and say, Pastor Landon, that is not true of yourself. You are allowing Satan to win. Stop. How about we just knock them out for good? <laughs> How about we focus so much on the outside and on others coming to know him? Forget his lies. Because I guarantee you one of the biggest lies is this is who we are, this is who we will always be, we will never grow, we will never do this, we will never do that. I hear that all the time and I think, man, Satan, you've got them wrapped. We will grow. We will extend the kingdom. When we stop listening to him, and start focusing on him. That's the truth of the matter this morning. The lie is, he's not good. And he's holding you back. The truth is, he's wonderfully good. And he's saying, go get him. Go reach another for me and another and another. That's what he wants you to hear this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this powerful time to be reminded of the lies that you gave to Adam and Eve. Lies that still play out in 2021. They're, they're, they're not old lies. They're, they're just the lies that have gone on generation after generation after generation. We hear it even today, Lord, even, in, even on major newscasts. You're not good. You're a judgmental God. You're a God who hates people, specifically people who don't live like you want them to live. They're all lies. And we hear it so much that we begin to think to ourselves, is it, is, it, is it true? Maybe it's best that I just keep my mouth shut and not tell people whose God I belong to, what God I belong to. And then the enemy has us. Just don't, don't rock the boat. I don't want us to rock the boat. 
I want us to shake the gates of hell as Faith Church. I'm done rocking the boat. I want us, when we meet together, when we worship together. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 